Isn't life so much better when you're trying to learn, when you're trying to interact, when you're trying to grow? I have so little in common with somebody that already knows the answer to every question. They already know everything about themselves. They already know the way the world works. I'm like, I got nothing in common with you. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness in progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. And it is still an amazing world. And on this podcast, we're going to show you all that you need to know about why that's so true. Right here, we're going to shine a light on people who are tackling some of the world's most vexing problems, and they still think the future is bright. We need to know what they know. We need to know how they get around obstacles and move on to futures full of possibility. And we're going to share those insights with you. Today, we have an amazing thought leader. I have been so inspired by one small conversation with David Richmond that I could not wait to share this with you. David is an entrepreneur, an author, a public speaker, an athlete, and a philanthropist. Over the last 10 years, David has completed 50 triathlons, including 18 Ironman distance triathlons, and most recently, he's biked 4,700 miles in just six weeks as he met with participants in his latest book, Exploring the Emotional Side of Cancer. Now, I know that sounds a bit heavy, but in my conversation with David, he brought out some points that left me soaring. So I know he's going to do the same for you. Just to give you a little bit more background on David Richmond, he has a book. His first book was called Winning in the Middle of the Pack. And I can't wait to dive into that because I can already tell from his insights that he has a way different point of view about what winning means. And his latest book that just came out is called Cycles of Lives. In that book, David weaves a new story of possibility for how we each frame the current challenges that we have in our lives in ways that radiate possibility instead of amplifying our limitations. In the book, David shares the interconnected stories of others overcoming obstacles, specifically cancer. And I got to tell you, in my way of thinking, he improved my way of thinking about obstacles in just that little pre-call we had. So welcome, 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 David, to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Thanks, Dr. Linda. You know, I was telling my wife as I was walking into my little recording place here, I said, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to talk to her again because we had such a great, a great meeting before and I'm ready to go for it. Let's do it. Okay. so one of the first things we're just going to fire off some of the many concepts that we stumbled upon in that short call. And one of the things that impressed me was right from the beginning, you use these words. There is an upwelling of good intention in our world which is something I've been trying to shine a light on for a decade at the Goodness Exchange. You said, in our times, you see so many, many people popping up who want to talk to you with the very best intentions. Give us some background on that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it it really is a neat time in that regard because there's so much negativity in the world. The world has been, we talked about this before, that the world has just been kind of like hunkered down you know, all sharing at least some semblance of the same trauma, mm-hmm. right? There isn't anybody that isn't involved in their own personal crazy turmoil that doesn't believe we're in a little bit of an angrier, divisive world, right? I mean, there's there's easy reason to just be not so happy and really concerned about our collective future. But 
At the same time, kind of like, you know, a metamorphosis, you know, caterpillar to a butterfly, we've all kind of had to kind of hunker down and out of that hunker down. And the fact that we do have somewhat of a collective experience of this trauma of loneliness, of isolation, of more connection to the human condition. And we've had to take a deep breath and kind of measure the world and measure our lives and measure ourselves and who our friends are. And those, I think out of that, a lot of good is coming. And the way that I've seen it is, for example, I've been in the transformation, grief, trauma area. That's kind of what I focus on with public speaking and with my books and, and, and some other, I mean, the, uh, the supply of people like you, you've been doing it for a while, but the supply of people that's starting to come up that are open and willing to talk about grief and trauma and how do we move forward and what are tools we can have to better enhance our perspectives. I mean, these are topics that are being talked about. And I always laugh because people are like, aren't you tired of like talking about the same thing, this grief and trauma and transfer? I go, are you kidding me? There's literally thousands of new beautiful people like you bringing their wisdom and their thoughts to this that, that just weren't even there a couple of years ago. That So we're all starting these conversations. And honestly, um, I don't know. I think one of the things that drives me, Dr. Linda, is this thought that more communication is always better than less. And we're, we're having more communication, at least on these items. I totally agree with you. I thought we'd get to that about 20 minutes from now, but we might as well start right there. You and I had a brief conversation in, where we both shared a little bit of our personal traumas. And it's something that I, I might as well just, just mention right now is I really believe that about 80 to 90% of folks have had some kind of a childhood ordeal that has left them with a lens through which they act and react and see the world. And the pandemic has exacerbated those those places that need to heal. And it has, for some people, been a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like, I don't know, this is terrible to say, but I feel like I almost needed the pandemic pause. I've been able to make some personal leaps through a year of crisis that's, that is unbelievable. So let's just start right there. Tell us your story, because mm -hmm. you haven't had life served to you on a silver platter yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, right. No, I mean, who does get life served on a silver platter? And if they have, you're going to assume that it went a certain way and it did not go that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody, like you said, everybody has childhood trauma, young adult trauma. And what I was thinking, actually, even this morning, I, I take a little cold dip in a pool for five minutes and meditate, right? Every, every morning, every morning I get up, I go in the pool. That's the way I wake up. It's super cold, like 40 odd degrees. And I kind of meditate. And I was meditating on that one thought today. You know, like my traumas are not any worse or they shouldn't be thought of as, as any lighter than anybody else's because they're not theirs. They're mine. And I mean, it's, it's an amazing thought. And one of the joys of, of doing the book, the, the latest book that I've done is there's so much more meaning behind the idea that you never know what people are going through or what they have gone through. I mean, there's probably very, very few people that know that even scratch the surface of the depth of the trauma that you went through as, as a, as a child and a young adult. Right. And that's okay. It's, it's not a bad thing that they don't know, but it gives you a chance to 
once you can start to maybe come to terms with it and see how it's reflected on your life, maybe you can tackle the way it's limited you from forming deeper connections with people because, you know, you don't want to get burned again. You don't want to touch the fire. And, and when you understand maybe some of those limiters or some of the things that have prevented you from being your true authentic best self, which are oftentimes as a result of those traumas, right? Once you kind of get some insight into that, it does give you a chance to move forward. And, and that's that's where from, from my traumas, I was stuck in them for a long time, right? Carried them around as a burden, a chip on my shoulder. You know, they, they definitely fogged up my lenses as it were. But when I learned that it's okay, like to lean into it and just, just let it go at some point, just let it go. That's when you can start to make some moves in life. Yeah, I love that concept. And I don't want folks to think we're going to take a deep dive into childhood trauma here because because the the real the real beauty of what I take away from David's work is this is this ability to manage the meaning of things a little bit better, a little bit more consciously than just living with the stories we told ourselves when we were 8 or 15 or whatever, right? And that's what this these stories of, of hope and and perspective that the camp, uh, that the folks that you've interviewed for the book about living and living through cancer really pointed to to me is that you 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 shared with me a whole bunch of stories about different ways. Can you share the story mm-hmm. that you shared with me just to get us going here? Because I've got mm-hmm. really wonderful notes that we can go in all down all kinds of rabbit holes. But yeah. share with me that story you shared about. The woman who had a really poor cancer diagnosis, and yet she found different ways to frame that up. And yet her doctor, remember the story of the doctor who who had her own way of looking at cancer because of her life experiences? Share that story. Yeah. So there's, I mean, those are two really wonderful stories in the book. And one of them, and I always want to frame it in this Like when you're trying to form deeper connections with the people in your life, right? The way that you can do that, one way in which you can do that is to really be cognizant of the fact that you don't know what people are going through, or you shouldn't come prepared to guess what their emotional responses to things might be, because you might just be wrong. In most cases, you are going to be wrong because the way they are today and the way they're interacting with you is often, probably all the time, a result of, of the traumas that they've had in their life. And, and, and I say this because I say, I say to people, I go, imagine this, imagine this, that you wake up and your partner of 25 years, your spouse you know, of 25 years leans in and says, hey, I got some news for you. And you look up at the spouse and kind of confused. And the spouse says, yeah, they're going to wheel you into surgery. And you got a grapefruit-sized tumor in your head. And it's possible that you won't make it through the surgery. And if you do make it through the surgery, uh, it's probable that you're not going to last very long. And I needed to be the one to tell you that because it's an emergency. We need to take you in right now. And could you imagine looking up and having tears of joy come out of your eyes and say, thank God. Now, when I say that to people, they go, yeah, that's stupid. There's no way that anybody ever said thank God to that situation and then had tears of joy coming through their eyes. And I go, well, let me give you some more of the story. Okay. Because let me give you the context. Now I would originally, before I started this book, you told me that story. I'd be like, oh, whatever, you know, oh, you know, and I would discount it. But let me tell you the story behind that. This is a couple 
who kind of were raised the same, same values, same dreams in life. They ended up meeting by chance, falling madly in love, getting married, having kids, living through and being closer through the death of one of their child, one of their children. They were successful. They were vibrant. They had all these wonderful things going, but there was over the years, an escalating tension between them that even turned to anger and even turned to more than that. And the husband was so frustrated that he couldn't get his wife back. And the wife was so frustrated that she couldn't be who she used to be. And it escalated and escalated and escalated until at one point she was at the end of her rope. And she said, in a moment of clarity, it's not you. It's not the kids. It's me. I'm crazy. Lock me up. Please lock me up. Get me help. Make me help me get better. And so they did. It was like the end of the rope. Right. I'm telling you the story and fast forward, but it's the end of the rope. They have to. So they go check her into a, a mental institution. They do a battery test on her. And within a couple hours, find out she's got a grapefruit sized tumor in her brain. They call the husband and say, get down here and talk to her because we have to wheel her into surgery now. And he tells her, hey, you could die. You could. And she is tearing joy and so happy that it's a tumor and not her. Right. It wasn't her. It was a tumor. And so she's grateful not to have the tumor, but she's grateful to know that what she had built with him for 25 years and all the things that had gone through, that that wasn't diminished in any way because of the changes in her. It was something else. What a wonderful, wonderful, like peaceful end to what, what would be a very tragic story, right? So it's a shift. It's an important fundamental shift. Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing really different actually happened. It's just the mentality about the sequence of events. Yeah. When you meet someone who might, and let's say somebody that's close to you, who might not be reacting the way that you think that they should react to a certain situation, or you think it's not authentic or whatever. Um, maybe it is, maybe it is. And I'm not a judge of that, right? But what I am a judge of is saying that there's probably more behind it that we don't know. And if we can give somebody a safe space to talk about it, if we can give them a safe space to really let us know what's going on and we don't come to our interactions with people, especially those that we want a deep, you know, kind of grounded, authentic connection to, we have to come with an open mind that they have traumas or we have traumas that might be preventing us from making those connections. And what you mentioned was, was Dr. Uh, Dr. Myers, a 40 year oncologist at NYU. And her story is wonderful. I mean, I'm just going to give you the very end, end of it, but her story is wonderful. And it talks about some of the things that, that are so important to, to you and what you're trying to bring to the community is when she first became an oncologist, she well, all right, you don't want to take my advice. Okay, fine. Go about your life, whatever, right? It's, it's okay. You don't believe me? Go ahead. I mean, I'm a doctor. I know how to take care of your breast cancer, but if you don't want to believe me, go ahead. Do whatever you want. Go go ahead, eat better. Take alternative medicines. Nothing against that, but she's like, yeah, go ahead. Well, now 40 years later, she's had a beautiful marriage. She's got a grown and wonderful child. She's had lifelong friends. She's seen the best that the world can offer and she will not take no for an answer. If somebody doesn't want to have her take care of them the way that she knows as a doctor, she can take care of them. She's like, get out of here. I don't have time for you. You're going to miss out on things. I got to walk into a patient's office right now or a patient's waiting room and let them know when they got two bouncy kids on on their knees that they're not going to make it. 
right? You can make it, but you're not taking my advice. Get the hell out. Because she knows she's so desperate to care for people. She's so desperate to make sure that she gives people the best chance to live the longest, you know, healthiest life possible that she won't take no for an answer. She's almost desperate about it. And I think, wow, I mean, this is a woman who knows longevity, right? And knows wellness and knows how to possibly give you time that you won't get. I mean, how amazing is that? And she's got this perspective to say, look at all this beautiful stuff that life can give you. Just listen to me. I'm a pro. I've been doing this for 40 years. I can help you. And I love that story because it's like when the doctor comes into your room, you don't know what they've gone through. You know, you don't, you don't know what, what's driving them to be so adamant in their advice. It may be that they've seen somebody exactly like you who followed this or that path that was unbelievably successful and they want the same for you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. In my years, my many years of working with patients, I always tell people that you don't have to go out to dinner with your doctor. That's not the purpose of your relationship with them. What you want is to be available, be totally present for their zone of genius. No doubt. Perfectly. You know, perfectly. Yeah. And you still got to factor in the things like, I don't feel in my gut that I'm connecting with this person. You still got to factor in a whole lot of reasons. But sometimes the most passionate people, the most knowledgeable people are not necessarily the same person you'd want to go out to dinner with. (laughs) Right. I mean, they could. They could be. They could be. Totally. They could be. Right. Yeah. It's finding the people in this world who we know have the heart to care for us. It's such a beautiful way to frame up a conversation about the experiences that the people you had in the book. Tell, tell us some, some stories that really stick with you that we, that we, we people that don't have cancer yet uh, or that we know of. Can tell us some stories with some insights from your journey. Well, the book is really not, I mean, yes, the book surrounds cancer. Okay, but it's really not a book about cancer. What, what right. it is, is a book about the emotional side of trauma and how that is affected by these childhood and young adult traumas that we all have. Cause I can't identify with what it's like to have cancer five different times in my adult life. Right. I can't, I can't identify with, I can, can even begin to wrap my brain around it, but reflecting on how somebody's able to deal with that, who they were able to deal with that coming out of a physically and emotionally abusive relationship. And they had developed the tools coming out of this emotionally and physically abusive relationship to then be able to handle this new set of lifelong traumas. I could kind of wrap my brain around that because who hasn't felt abused or who hasn't felt helpless or who hasn't had to go through really, really difficult times and then become armed to deal with life or whatever life might bring. So I could understand the how she developed the tools. Now, I couldn't understand the cancer, but it was really important to tell Patricia's story because when she says something like, hey, my theory to life is just put your feet on the ground and, and, and try to make the best out of your day, I really can get a depth of it because I got that, that deal that she had some horrible trauma, this abusive relationship, and I could kind of wrap my brain around what that might feel like. And then I could, from her telling me, understand that just the enormity of the cancer uh, fight that she had and as a caregiver watching her dad die of cancer while she was in the middle of chemo and the 35 years span of five different cancers. When she says something like, hey, the theory to life is just put your feet on the ground and go about your day whenever you can. I mean, wow. 
Like I really gain an insight into that. And you know what? I'm not going to be so scared to talk to somebody that means something to me that's gone through something really difficult that I can't understand. I'm not going to be scared to talk to them. And, and because I want to learn from them, I might understand a little bit that there's more going on behind them, the story that I don't know. And so just to backtrack for one, one second, Dr. Linda, why, why I did this book was because I watched my sister go through terminal brain cancer. And when I was paying attention to the way that people handled cancer, patient, caregiver, doctor, loved one, survivor, you name it, friend, whoever, I felt like they were really good about dealing with the tasks of the cancer, but not so much the emotional side. So I really wanted to get into stories and I, I wanted young, old, one time cancer, five times cancer, you know, all different emotional reactions. And I wanted to do that, not to talk about the tasks of cancer, but to talk about the emotional side, because that's what most people weren't equipped to deal with. And don't you think that's the crux of the problem for us who may be supporting somebody with cancer? Oh, absolutely. I think people do pretty good trying to bring food by and trying to support people with physical things. But I think the same exact premise is true of the caregivers. We don't know how to have those conversations. We don't know what to say next. And often we don't say anything because of that. Yes. Uh, so yeah. smart because that that is one of the themes, uh, not not in every story, but and not to the depth that, that, that we, that we want to go with some of the stories, but isolation or being abandoned or even self-isolating is that, I mean, think about this, right? I just got a promotion at work. Okay. I just did my PR at a marathon, right? My kids just called me and told me how much they love me, right? I got all this wonderful thing going on and I, and I walk by you and I know that you're going through chemo or you're, and, and I just, I don't want to tell you how great my life is because I know your life sucks or I think it does. And I don't want to like make you feel guilty that you're going to bring me down. And so, I just go, oh, I'm sorry. And I kind of walk by because it's hard. It's hard to stop and, and think about it. You know, and it's like, I, you know, I'm not going to talk to you about the fact that I broke a fingernail when you just got diagnosed with a, with a non-tumorous, can, uh, you know, non-cancerous tumor, but you're still worried that I might turn into something. I mean, right. So ugh, I, all this tiptoe, I don't know what to say. So it's better sometimes to not say anything. And I'd rather bring a casserole and leave it at the front doorstep to show you that I care way easier than, than saying, oh my God, I, so I know the doctor said that you have a small chance to die, but geez, can you wrap your brain around that? What, what, I mean, God, how does that make you feel? Have you talked to your children about the fact that you might die? Like, oh my God, how are you dealing with that? I'd much rather drop a casserole off at the front door. That's what we do. Yeah, and it's understandable. I mean, it's not, it's not wrong to take care of people, but especially guys too. And I, I don't want to make this a male, female thing, but especially guys, because guys want to fix things. And it's like, oh, let me take care of it. And especially if they're the ones afflicted with it, they're like, I'm not going to show weakness. Right. Mm. I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to show any weakness because, you know, I'm the man. I'm you know, I'm supposed to take care of things or you're a single mother. You've been relied on. I can't show weakness because my kids don't see me that way. I could give you a million reasons why it's understandable the way people act. And my book is not going to tell people the prescription for how to fix these problems. What it's going to do is allow, I'm hoping, Dr. Linda, through identifying with these people and really feeling for them, it's maybe going to give us a tool on how to better talk to the people in our lives that are going through things that we are trying to form a deeper connection with. 
Yeah, you know, um, I I spent some time reading the the book reviews. I love to do that with authors because you can uh, you can really get a feel for the way a book works in people's lives, the way it helps them make leaps forward. And here's one that was in there that I really liked, and I'd love to have you comment on it. Someone said, "You are not alone." Although each story is so different, you quickly feel a common thread through the stories. It was uplifting and encouraging, even though it's all about cancer. It's a great reminder that there are people out there going through exactly what you are in their own way, in their own complex stories. That's a wonderful, that's a wonderful review because it is the truth. And, and, you know, I'm kind of humbled by the fact that I was able to find so many people that would let me go super deep with them. And we talked about things that every single person, every single one, not, not, not everybody made the book, right? Because for one reason or another, but every single person said to me at some point, well, geez, I've never really talked about this before. And some of those, I never really talked about things were freaking huge. They were, I walked in on my mom killing herself. I was on my way to the hospital to check myself in for chemo. And my fiance called me in the cab and told me he got another woman pregnant and he won't be able to come see me. I mean, crazy, unbelievable stuff, right? That people were willing to say. And the fact that every person, not only did they say at some point, as I've never really talked about this before, I've never told anybody, Every single person, Dr. Linda, just to the point you just made, said to me, ah, you know, my story's not that interesting. I don't know that anybody's going to get anything out of it. Because what? We're just living our own lives. We're all living our own lives. And we're all just passerbyers, right? But we're all just living our lives. And it's, you know, whatever you've done that's spectacular. I know that you've overcome some just insanely crazy things that people would have no idea how to deal with. For you, it's like, well, you know, it's just the way life was dealt to me and that's what I had to do. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not anything special, right? And you're not, right? not to me, to you, you're super special. But the fact that I want to connect with you and know you better, if I just have a tiny bit of insight into the fact that there is so much depth to what I don't know and the traumas that you've experienced and how those have shaped you or how you've dealt with them or not dealt with them, just to have a little extra insight, if you and I are going to have a connection just allows us to connect in such a deep, authentic, lasting way. And I, I have some people stories uh, from my bike ride. I met somebody for two minutes and the thought of that meeting has lived with me every day since. Oh, tell me why. <laughs> you have to tell us that story now. Well, I could tell you endless stories on those, but, 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 but I'll, I'll tell you one that, that is just, it's, it still gets me to this day. And it is that inherent goodness, right? That we talked about at the very beginning. Um, so I'm in Louisiana at the end of a really, really long day. So I've done a solo bike ride. I'm like 3000 miles in at this point. And cause I'm zigzagging all over the place and I'm in Louisiana and I'm at a restaurant. A friend of mine had flown in to, to, to support me for a couple of days. And we're sitting there at dinner talking about the bike ride and what, what the plan is. And somebody overhears me and they go, Oh my gosh, you know, my grandfather died of cancer like a year ago. What, what are you doing? And so I told her, and then she said, Oh my God, the owner, the owner's going through like three different people and their family is, is going through stuff. And then the other two waitresses came by. So there were the owner and three waitresses and we're talking and shopping stories and doing whatever. And then now well, it's time to pay the bill. And the owner said to me, Hey, I can't, I can't have you guys pay for the meal. You know, thank you for coming in and thank you for what you're doing. And this is a little family owned restaurant. Right. And then the three waitresses came over and they said, Hey, can we take a picture with you? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And when we took a picture. They handed me an envelope. And the envelope had less than $100 in it. And they said, we want you to 
to, to have this and, and donate it to, because all the proceeds are going to cancer organizations. It's our tips from tonight. And thank you, thank you for what you're doing. And I thought to myself, these are three women who maybe are single moms. Maybe they're not, but they're working hard. They work their whole night just to give a stranger their tips to give to people that they don't know because they all have this common thing that they've gone through of cancer. And they appreciate the fact that we're trying to bring more to the emotional side of it. And I'm thinking to myself, like how wonderfully good, inherently good is that? And it just sticks with me that, man, if people are given the opportunity, there's a lot of good people out there, right? A lot of good people out there. That mm-hmm. is exactly that is exactly what we need to keep reminding ourselves that we are not the we are not what we see on social media or the news. That is a tiny slice of reality. It, it really is. I, I'll tell you another super quick one that never leaves me. And, and this is a, a woman. This is in Florida, and I'm at the end of a crazy solo day. It's like one in the morning, and I checking it because all the hotel rooms have been donated and I got to be there on a certain day. Like I can't take any time off because of domino effects because everything's been uh, uh, donated to me. And I walk in, it's about one o'clock in the morning and this woman comes racing out from behind the counter and she's like, oh, Mr. Richmond, you made it. You made it. I'm so happy that you made it. And I go, oh, okay, well, thanks. You know, who are you and whatever. And she said, oh, I just wanted to meet you and tell you, thank you for what you're doing. I was super close to my grandfather and he died a couple of weeks ago from cancer. And I go, oh my God, what was he like? Are we close? We had like a five minute conversation. And she said, can I give to your cause, to, to your charity? And I go, absolutely. So I get on my bike. I go through the Burger King drive-thru because it's the only thing open in town. I grab my, my, my dinner. I go back to my room and I'm, I'm going to fall asleep because I got to get up at seven to bike again. And I get this phone call from this woman at the front desk. And she said, hey, I just wanted to know. I went on your website and I made a donation and, and, and doc donation was tiny. Okay. Tiny. And she said, I was just wondering, is this a one-time thing or does that go monthly? Because I don't think I can afford that much monthly. And I thought to myself, holy crap, this is a woman who can't afford that much monthly, which means she's living tight. And she still, to a stranger, wanted to give a small amount of money because it meant something to her to give back about a topic that she had deep emotional connection to. And I just thought to myself, man, oh man, I mean, you give people a chance, they're just amazing. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. That is just so true. And I love your point about give, if you give people a chance. Mm. How many times don't we get the best out of others because we are going into a moment assuming bad intentions in others instead of assuming good intentions? Like, where is our responsibility in what comes out of others? Yeah. And it's tough because we all know people that are closed-minded and we all know people that already know the answer to every question. And we know people who come to every debate, air quotes, already knowing the answer to everything that's going to happen. So you can't say that about everyone. You, you certainly can't, but I, and you can't say it in all circumstances, but at least with regards to the emotional side of trauma. Not everyone is set in their ways, knows everything about life. Not everyone is closed-minded to the idea that we could form a deeper connection by being honest and being open and talking about things that maybe other people don't know about, or why did certain things affect me or not affect me? Because not everyone is so stoic, knows everything, you know, comes in, you know, already being everything that they've ever been. I learned that many years ago that I'm not going to be that way. And and it's 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 great because I'm I'm still learning. I'm not perfect at it, but I, I come to most interactions with a it's not a win or a lose. 
it's a what can we learn, you know, and, and it's hard, it's, it's especially when it comes to divisive topics. It's hard to not want to prove that we're right. But if we can learn, then there isn't right or wrong. There isn't win or lose. It's just learning. Mm-hmm. You know, those are those are some key things that I think the turmoil of our times are making more common is that people I think people are listening a little bit better. At least the, at least I'm noticing it. Maybe I never noticed it before. But I think this <laughs> this pandemic has been the great leveling. I mean, we were all just stuck with our dirty laundry or stuck with whatever we had in our mm-hmm. coping skills bag and that each one of us has had that has faced a similar magnitude of challenge making life work and um I know I listen harder for ways other people can improve my way of thinking because I've run out of <laughs> I've run out of things in my bag of tricks to cope. So let, let's pause. Which, by the way, is, is somewhat unusual, right? It, it is somewhat unusual because it's really tough to let go of yourself. It's really tough to not know the answers to every question. And I used to say, or I still say now, but, but what started me on, on a completely brand new path in my life was this concept that said, okay, you've learned so many lessons in life. But I looked and I had, I had learned unbelievable amounts of lessons. I'd been through crazy amounts of trauma and really difficult times and good times. But I mean, a lot, I learned a lot of lessons. But one day I looked in the mirror and I said, yeah, have you applied a single one of them to your own self? I mean, literally you've learned so much, but you haven't applied it. Why? Because you haven't begun to learn. You got to start to learn, right? Don't know, just learn. And I was like, oh, that was the start of it. You know, that was the start of it. Well, I think people would be interested to know that you who've done all these triathlons and so far and stuff, you, you were not always that person, right? You were overweight, smoker, all that. Share a little bit of that that story with us. Yeah. So, I mean, through trauma, we've been talking about it quite a bit, right? Through trauma, like you can make change and transformation or whatever. And I was going through through trauma at that point in my life. I had been a smoker. I, I, calc- I actually have recently calculated that I had smoked like a quarter million cigarettes. What the heck is even that, right? I was overweight. I was kind of miserable. I was in a, you know, I was in a very abusive relationship. I was married at the time to a very abusive alcoholic. I had two young twins. I had four-year-old twins. And I was just, it it was, I was literally at the end of my rope and through a number of different things, you know, just people saying the right things at the right time or learning things. And when I did all in a short period of time, I kind of came to this idea that I needed to fix myself and not everything around me. And that was kind of exclamation point by at that same period of time being told from my sister that she had terminal brain cancer. And I had so admired that she had moved on from some of her trauma that we both experienced to have a wonderfully happy marriage and young kids and great circle of friends. And she was just, just very happy and grounded. I wasn't very happy and grounded, but, but she was. And, and just the fact that she was going to now go down a path, you know, that was going to lead to her death. And, and it was like, Hmm, okay. Now I really have a time to learn. And so I said, okay, not even figurative. I literally stripped down. I looked in front of the mirror and I, and I stared at myself and I said, like, who are you? And what do you want to be? And I, the only answer that I came up with is I don't want to be who you are now. Once you, once you just find out who you want, who you are and what, what, what are you capable of? Like you, you know, a lot, you've learned a lot, but you, you haven't applied anything to yourself. Go out there and figure it out. And then I said, okay, well, maybe I should stop smoking. Right. Maybe I should stop trying to find relationships where I feel like I have to fix it. Right. Because I, in that sense, a very, very 
not happy childhood. And I was always trying to fix things to get this quote unquote, you know, love of a mother that would never love anybody. And, and so I just said, well, stop being all the things you don't want to be and start being some of the things you do want to be. And that, that, that started it. So then I, I went for a run and then I went for a bike ride. And then I said, oh, what's this triathlon thing? And I did one of those. And then I said, oh my gosh, well, if you can do that, go do an Ironman. And if you can do that, go run 50 miles. And why 50? Let's go do a hundred miles. Go, you know, go run 24 hours, go do a 5,000 mile bike ride, whatever, just figure it out. And uh, that, so that's a part of the, that's been a part of the journey. Okay. I love this concept. It is so important on what we've, this pause that we've all had access to with the with the pandemic of deciding who you want to be. Let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about who do you want to be. Dr. Linda here. If you are hoping the world is a lot better than what we see on the news and social media, and if you've been overwhelmed by the misery and negativity coming from the screens in your life, I've got a wonderful connection for you. What I've learned after almost a decade of curating the internet for insight and innovation is that there is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. And that's what led me to create this podcast. And then I co-founded The Goodness Exchange. The Goodness Exchange is an amazing place on the internet now where you can enjoy unlimited access to hundreds of articles that give you a more complete, positive perspective about the state of the world. You can listen to exclusive bonus content from this podcast with our guests who are knee-deep in solving some of the world's most vexing problems, and yet they still think the future is bright. We need to know what they know. And at the Goodness Exchange, you can explore a feed of exclusively good news and recommended other kinds of content created by the Goodness Exchange community. No one with good ideas and good intentions need feel alone again. You are right to hold out hope for humanity. Millions of people are out there creating a better world, and we have created a gathering place for all that wonder. Who knows what's possible now that there's a place on the internet created to bring out our best impulses and our collective genius. To explore the home for goodness on the internet, visit goodness-exchange.com backslash membership. Thanks. Okay, we're back. And we're here with an amazing thought leader in this world, David Richmond, who is has recently published a book called Cycles of Lives. Do I have that right, David? A cycle of Lives. Cycle, cycle of, of Lives. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this book is the thread that runs through it all is people's lives with cancer, the adjunctive people in their lives and perspectives all about that. But there's something much more more fundamental in this book. I think, David, would you describe that as this notion that you don't know what people are going through? Yes. And oftentimes we also don't even face up to the things that we've gone through, right? Who doesn't live in denial and who doesn't, how many times have you heard from someone, oh, I am a certain way and that's just the way I am. It's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like literally you haven't dealt with anything in your life because you are not who you are, right? You're choosing to be that person. You are who you're choosing to be. You're not, you're not whatever. And if you want to choose to be in denial or you want to choose to stay angry or you want to try to whatever the thing is, man, we got nothing in common because if you already know the answer to everything, can can I tell you a super quick story? Yeah. Let me tell you a story. And this is a true story, but it's way my brain is wired about everything difficult. And I try to put it into perspective of, of, of these conversations that I have. We were talking earlier about like coming to a, 
conversation, not willing to know the answer to everything. So one of the first endurance athletic events I ever did was a 85 mile rollerblade race from Athens, Georgia to Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. I had no business being in this race, completely stupid, right? I, I was absolutely ill-prepared, didn't know anything about what I needed to do to go 85 miles on rollerblades. I could barely stand on rollerblades. What am I doing that for? So I'm like three hours in, okay? And it's 90 degrees out and it's, humidity is ridiculous and it's just the asphalt is just steaming. And I am completely done with everything I know. I'm done. I'm out of food. I'm out of water. My stomach is churning. I cannot lift my legs. It's like, I'm done, but I'm only about 30 miles in and I'm leaned over on my knees. I'm like halfway up this hill. And if I'm not sideways to the hill, I'm going to roll backwards. So I'm sideways to the hill. I'm leaned over. And I'm just like, I literally said to myself, you're done. You've reached your absolute limit. That's the most you're ever going to be. And I leaned down and I started sweating and I see this line on the asphalt. And I said, okay, well, if you do know everything about yourself, just go home. Let the sag wagon pick you up, pack it up, go home. You already figured everything out, right? You already know everything. Or when you think you've known everything, or if you're willing to just say, I know nothing about myself. Because if I go one step past that line, it's something new. I've never experienced that. And if I can go one more step beyond that and beyond that and beyond that. And so I eventually did make it another six hours and I made it to the finish line. And every single step of that, from the point where I said, I'm done, I know everything. I just learned so much and I keep learning. And I, and I use this thought in my head that if I already come to a situation or a discussion, already knowing everything, I might as well just pack it up and go home because what's the point? But if I come to the difficult thing or the hard task or the, or the person that is so difficult to talk to or whatever, and I just go, dude, just keep pushing, take one more step. You're going to learn. Right. So that's kind of the, I don't know, I hate to sound preachy, but that's kind of like my, my mantra of, of life. And that's the way I approach problems and relationships and difficult conversations is like, I don't know anything because I, that way I get to learn. I absolutely love that theory of, of pushing past where you think your boundary is. Is that akin to just that, that notion of just finding a way every day to put one foot in front of the other? It kind of is, but, but, but look, if you're going through something super difficult, right? Sometimes it's all you can do to put one foot in front of the other because you can't You've got so much that you're dealing with that you just try to put, like Patricia, I was talking about earlier, five different cancers, right? She said to me, she goes, listen, every single day I get up out of bed, I put my feet on the ground and I go about my day. Now, sometimes all I can do is then lay back in bed again because that's all I've got. Okay. But I always do that. And I thought to myself, man, that's inspiring because sometimes she gets to go about her day, but also I got to understand some people have it so hard that they can't go beyond putting their feet on the ground. They got to go right back into bed. So yes, in one sense, it is one foot in front of the other, but I think more than that, or in addition to that, it's this idea that isn't life so much better when you're trying to learn, when you're trying to interact, when you're trying to grow, I have so little in common with somebody that already knows the answer to every question. They already know everything about themselves. They already know the way the world works. I'm like, I got nothing in common with you. This is, this is huge. I think take all the division in the world, <laughs> whatever side of anything we're all on, none of us like that person. 
who rambles on as if they they don't have a question in the world. Everything is framed up perfectly for them. And where are we that we don't understand it just like them? You know, I think everyone thinks of it that way. But how come we're not that in our not so best moments, we're not curious, we don't ask ourselves to pause and truly listen? Where does that come from, you think? I think that in the world of trauma, it, it comes from not being safe oh. to say how we feel or not providing a safe space for somebody else to say how they're feeling. It's so much easier to go, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, or I, I think I know what you're going through. I think about this, right? I talked to someone and this is a, a perfect example of like, gosh, man, you can't come to a conclusion about anything. Right. You cannot. Let's just let's just take it one step further. So I'm talking to this guy and he gets almost teary eyed telling me the story of a friend of his that had recently passed away from cancer. And he goes, the hardest thing for me, David, is that, you know, when he had that energy, he'd invite me over and I'd come over and we watch some sports and eat a piece of pizza and whatever. And anytime I wanted to get serious with him, he just zoned out. He just wanted football and pizza. He goes, and I just really, really regret the fact that I was never able to ask him any of those hard questions. And I go, okay, all right, fair enough. But, but, and I'm not telling you not to feel that way, but I just want to give you an alternate story. How about the fact that when he was feeling up to it, he called everybody else that he could complain about what he was going through, that he could show his fear of the fact that he was dying, that he was nothing like the person he had been, or he was never going to be the person that he grew up thinking he was going to be. And you were the one person that he could come to that would let him watch football and eat pizza without dealing with those heavy topics. And I go, I'm not telling you it's one way or the other. What I'm saying though, is that if you if you can run into that situation again, maybe ask the question, I'm finding it hard to talk to you. Is it because you don't want to? Or is it because you think you're going to bring me down? Or is it because I'm going to say the wrong thing? Or what's the reason that we're not talking about this? Because I, I want to ask you how you're feeling, but I'm afraid to. And he might look at you and go, yeah, I really don't want to talk about how I'm feeling because I don't want to, I don't want to think about it. Or you might say, you mean you care about me that much? Like it's not all about football. I, I don't know the answers to those questions. Yeah. But I do know that, especially when it comes to trauma, if, if you could just take one step further, if you could just realize that people are going through stuff and mm-hmm. you went through stuff. And if we're going to connect, we got to connect in a deeper, authentic level, if even just asking questions, right? The right questions. Yeah, lately I've been noticing myself having conversations with folks a lot more often about their frustrations with a family member or their frustrations with a team member at work or something like that. And, you know, certainly sometimes you just need somebody to vent to. And so I'll just ask, I have a a neat way that I think about circumstances like that. But if you just want to vent, that's go be my guest because I'm I'm as good a listener as I am an idea person. And some just say... (laughs) I just want to vent and I just leave it there. I just listen carefully and carry on. But I'd like to offer that the people who do say, yeah, I I really, this is my brother. I've got to have a better way to think about this. Here's what I've learned. And I I would love to um, have your comments on this. I've learned that when someone who is otherwise normal (laughs) and ordinary and once like a real functioning person is suddenly doing something that just seems crazy to us. It's because there's some giant thing that we don't know about. Just assume that there is some great and challenging burden that they are just slogging through. And 
when I do that with people, I have so much more empathy, even when they're not being kind to me or when I see them, you know, destroying things that I, I love, relationships and stuff. I find that if I say, okay, this person was once an ordinary folk making good decisions and now they're not, there's something I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's a brilliant thought. And it's because it's always true. Always. It's always true. There's always something you don't know. And and you know this more more than most people. Sometimes that what you don't know is a big deal. Sometimes it's a big deal, like what you just said. Even if it's not a big deal, it doesn't matter. Like there's one story. Okay, this great is great story in the book. And it's and it's a friend that she was actually a friend of mine. Her and her husband are good friends. And her big deal was something that you and I in this respect would think is kind of silly, right? And that is she's kind of lived her whole life with the fear of cancer, the fear that she's gonna get cancer. Okay. Which, eh, all right, come on, live your life. I mean, seriously, why are you going to be afraid of cancer? And she's a doctor for Christ. She's an OBGYN, right? She's raised three kids. She's got a beautiful husband, right? Why are you going to walk around being in fear of cancer your whole life? Okay. Now I'm not saying it's a paralyzing fear, but yeah, it's kind of an underlying current. And I might go, you know, I mean, come on, silly. That's silly. It's silly to waste your time worrying about that. But I was wrong, dude. It is not about, it's silly for her to be wasting time. Okay. She had turmoil in her life and major turmoil. In fact, uh, she was on one of the last boats to escape Vietnam before uh, Saigon fell. And prior to that, without getting too graphic, anything bad that happened, her dad would look at her and say, it's your fault. Just like, like a cancer. You don't want to be a cancer, do you? Anything bad that comes out of this is going to prove that you're a cancer. And so imagine that she lives her whole life thinking that everything bad is because of cancer that she's a cancer, that everything that could happen to her is spreading like a cancer. So when she has this thought of, gee, I'm afraid of cancer. Yeah, she's lived her whole life with this, this unreasonable thought that don't be a cancer, don't be a cancer, don't be a cancer. And so for me to sit there and go, ah, you're wasting your time. Isn't it silly to worry about stupid things like that you're going to get cancer? I mean, who doesn't worry about? I had no idea, but until I knew her story and then I could go, it's reasonable to understand why she thinks that there's a big, big, big burden that she's carrying around and has carried it around for a long, long time. Right. Who am I to say, ah, you know, come on, that's a silly thought. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I mean about knowing everything. If, if I wouldn't talk to her in a way that would allow her to know, I really wanted to know her story. I might not have any depth of understanding of the trauma she had. And then you would, you would treat moments with that person differently. Mm-hmm. And and then that shuts off communication and relationships even more. The more we assume, the more we, you know, that old expression, what, what does assumptions do? It makes that ass out of you and me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, um, let's, sorry to interrupt you, doctor, but let's, let's also do this. How difficult is it to really give a deep, authentic hug to somebody who's going through something that you don't know them very well? You can't. It's, it's very uncomfortable. I hug them. Do I smile at them? Do I whatever? But when you have somebody and you find yourself on a, the same plane and you get, you get each other, even if for just a moment, you get each other and you give a hug, it's a real, I mean, it's an easy, warm, I mean, it's like, oh, it feels so good. Right. And I don't mean just physically hug, just an eye to eye contact or a, I get you and you get me or whatever. It's just such a different level when you really understand the depths of, of someone, you know, I, I just watched uh, the 20, 25 years now of uh, Goodwill Hunting just came yeah. out 
And, and I love the line in it that Robin Williams um, says when he says, you know, you can't begin to understand the depths of me. It's like, wow, you're right. We can't. But once we give ourselves the chance to, we can know it like that. At least then, a piece of it. And what if we, with all the gap, the gap in our understanding, the gap in our knowledge, what if we assume good intention instead of assuming bad intention? <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a very very wonderful, if not somewhat idealistic thought. Because if we're all in the same room caring for others, we got some of the same intentions. But sometimes it's it's tough, and so it's hard to to assume that. What I try to more assume, I can more easily wrap my brain around the fact that that I think if we if we really understand that what might be being um, thought of as bad intentioned or ill-intentioned is probably something else. Maybe self-preservation. It might be self-preservation. Maybe what you react to instead of allowing your dignity to be stolen again. Absolutely. I mean, look, I call up a friend and I say, listen, I know you're going through something difficult. What can I do for you? And they go, really, I'm fine. Really, I'm fine. And I hang up going, man, what a jerk. Like, seriously, like I, I'm a friend. How in the world do they not ask me for help? I know they need help. What am I not important enough? Like whatever. Meanwhile, that person is only thinking that the only time or the many times in their life that they authentically needed help, the person that they asked for abandoned them or said no, or made them feel bad. Maybe they're not going to ask again. Here I am saying, let me help you. And they're saying, no, I'm fine. Really? And I'm going to take that personal. Maybe they're really not fine. So now I can say, okay, are you saying you're fine because you're afraid I might not follow through on it? Are you saying you're fine because you think you're a burden to me? Are you saying fine because I'm not the person that can help you because that's okay too? Why are you saying you're fine? Because I don't think you are. No, I'm not. I don't know if they are or not, but I don't think they are. So that that's a deeper way to connect with people. And, and maybe it doesn't always have to be about us. <laughs> True. I, I always have to remind myself <laughs> about that, right? Yeah, that's, a, that's so, the truth. David, are there connections between what you learned about yourself in your first book, Winning, mm-hmm. winning from the middle, in the middle of the pack? Yeah, Winning in the Middle of the Pack. What are the connections between the two books? Because, you know, we are all just a collection of our mm-hmm. learning as we go. I think some of the lessons that I've, I've learned have been enhanced right? Because more time has gone by. And then I've also realized that I'm not just talking about my perspective, but I'm delving into other people's perspectives. And, you know, this optimistic view that I don't know anything and I'm always looking forward to what tomorrow's going to bring. These are things and, and hearing it from people that have gone through very, very difficult times as a caregiver, patient, doctor, whatever with cancer. And they still, you know, think about like, gosh, I, I got to see what tomorrow's going to bring. And I remember that this, this one woman I was talking to in the book, her name is Karen. She's a wonderful story, but it's shocking the way she said it. She said, she said, I don't think about, about dying. I think I go to bed grateful that I'm going to have the chance to wake up one more time. And I'm like, whoa. Right. So these kind of positive forward thinking things have, have, have really just been underlined in my life. I think what the biggest parallel between the two books or a bridge that's between those two books and in my life anyway, is this, is this really this, this concept of that we've been talking about the whole time together about learning, but, but it's, it's preceded by two things. One is to be able to have presence to stand in front of the mirror and take an honest assessment of who we are. A lot of people can't do that. I didn't do it for a long time. A lot of people don't ever do. Who are we really? My good, my bad, everything. Just be honest. Like, just be honest about who you are. That's number one. Number two is forgive yourself. 
for not being the person that you thought you were going to be or not giving it your best effort or forgive yourself for not handling situations as good as you could have, or just let go of the fact that, you know what, I got to forgive myself right this moment for thinking I had the answers to everything because I didn't, right? I could be wrong. Like, let's start fresh. So if you, if you really understand who you are and you just say, it's okay, you're, you you know what you know, and you know it, you know, right now that today is day one, then you can lean into learning. Today is day one. And, and, and the beauty of, of life in general is that we can do that again tomorrow and we can start again and again and again. Yeah. And honestly, I, I would think probably 10 years ago, 20 years ago, for sure, 30 years ago, I might have slapped you. But if you said to me, today is the first day of the rest of my life, I would have slapped you. I would have been like, stop. I mean, seriously, <laughs> like really? And then maybe 20 years ago, okay, I could understand. Now I really understand it, that, that yeah, it, it is. If you're leaning into it and learning. And sometimes that's all you can do is think about, man, I, today is the first day, right? First day I had cancer. First day my kids are out of the house. First day, whatever, yeah. right? But if you already know everything, you already are who you are, just go home, pack it up. Just, right? Just go home, pack it up. Well, we got to end this great conversation on any insights, any practical tips you have gained from your life of experiences about deciding then who we want to be. How do we start making steps in that in that process? Got any practical tips for us? No, I mean, I can tell you that it's oftentimes way more than you think you could be. Right. I mean, look, I was a smoker. I was overweight. I had never done anything active in my adult life besides, you know, go a wakeboard or snowboard every now and then or something. But nothing active, nothing physical. And I've I've biked 4,700 miles across the country and done, you know, a ton of Ironmans. And I mean, heck, one time I ran 25 and a half hours straight without stopping. So are you kidding me? Like, like, right. So it's not, that's nothing compared to what other people have done. Right. But you want to wake up at 50 and go get a PhD, just go do it. Right. Obviously we all have limiters. Obviously life gets in the way, but I think the biggest uh, thing that I've noticed is, and I learned this in business, right? If you double, let's say you double the sales goals of a, of a group of salespeople, the same amount of people, same percentage of people are going to hit the goals, right? Just, they're just going to hit double the goal. Right. And I learned this firsthand running a very large business. Right. If you double the goal, you're still going to get about 15% of the people that reach it. It's just they're going to reach double the goal. So you might as well set your goals higher. Right. So you look at any great athlete, somebody came along and said, I'm going to be better than that person. And at that time, we all said, that's the greatest person ever. But somebody came along and made them not so great because they became greater. So I, I just think that it, it's while you can, which is pretty much until you're buried, you might as well believe, hey, you know what? I want to figure out who I am and who I want to be. I just think we've each gotten a a little bag of gifts and potential and things that we're uniquely built to contribute and do what we can do. I mean, this this is the bottom in line in our life. Life is a game of inches. And if you just do what you can do, you will find that that path. Yeah. Look, and you're, you're fortunate in that you get to do something now that is suiting you so well. And you're, this is so, but it's, I'm sure many times in your life, you couldn't have imagined that you would be this person doing this at this time. Right. And, and, and on whatever experiences you're having or whatever journey you're on, we just, but you got to give yourself the chance to do that. And I don't believe that anybody doing what you do is able to add value to an audience if they are giving all the answers, right? You're on a quest to learn. We all, all of us are not, not all of us in the world, but all of us that are listening to you right now are on a quest to learn. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's really, it's really cool. And you had no idea you were going to do this probably. 
Uh, no, no. <laughs> I was a, I was a dentist for 25 years yeah. and thought that that would just unfold like it does. On I would be to a golf cart and a cheese sandwich at noon eventually. <laughs> and a shot no? of whiskey. <laughs> okay, so this is the, I, I hope this conversation opens up possibilities for people just to look around and, and know that that they too you're you're I'm sure you would say you're not unique, right? That the kinds of transformations that you've that you've described today in the people you met along the journey and in your own lives, that same kind of, of journey is available to us all in some way. Oh, yeah. And look, we're talking about me and it's, it's a little self-serving, but I mean, I don't know anything. I mean, how how nice is it to to have you give me some time to think that, okay, well, well, let's learn a little about you so we can see what we can learn. And everybody has that ability. I just, but it's not everybody has the ability, but you just, you have to figure out a way to give yourself permission or to take the time for yourself or to whatever, because I mean, honestly, it's your life. Nobody else is living it, right? It's your life. And eventually, at some point, and we all know people who don't ever understand this concept, but at some point it's gone. And if you are fortunate enough, and I'm not sure everybody can be fortunate, I might not be fortunate enough, but if you're fortunate enough to, at the end of your life, be able to measure, I think the only things you're going to measure is one, did I do anything that was fulfilling? And two, did I give myself the best chance to make the deepest connections with the people I cared about and that cared about me? I mean, really, is there anything else that we could think about? Like, did I do anything in this world and did anybody care? Right. And so, man, if you could just answer those two questions, I mean, isn't that what life should all be about? Did I do anything in this world and is anybody going to care? Yeah, that's a great place to close this conversation and let people begin to open conversations with themselves and the people they love. Thank you so, so much, David. Yeah, well, we could talk all day, Doc. I'm telling you, I'm with. Um, you should have been a psychiatrist, not a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dentists have have to dabble in that land quite a lot. If you yeah, except for the patient never gets to talk because you got your fingers yeah. in their mouth the whole time. Oh. You never get to talk. So oh, it, it, if he, if your dentist runs behind it, maybe that they that they love people and that they they dive in deep patient after patient and it, it accumulates through the day. So David, tell us where people can connect with you and your work mm-hmm. and, and what to do next. Cause you, we awesome. might have a lot of people fired up. Oh, oh hopefully we do. Uh, that, that was another thing that the proceeds from the book from, from this cycle of lives book is going to support the, uh, cancer focused organizations that were chosen by the book participants. So those are listed in the book. They're listed on my website, places like NYU's, Perlmutter Cancer Institute, you know, Moffitt Cancer Center in Florida, Children's Hospital LA, American Cancer Society, you name it. So if they want to find the book, they can get it at uh, wherever books are sold. M- most books are on Amazon, right? So Amazon, there's a, a beautiful Audible came out. I hired 15 different voice actors to each play wow. one of the one of the chapters. It's a may moving, very moving, amazing actors. So we have it on Audible. It's it's electronic form and whatever reader you use. And know that at least some portion, you know, after the Amazon takes their cut or Barnes and Noble and after the publisher takes their cut, the balance goes to a charity. So that's pretty awesome. And yeah, they can find a cycle of lives winning in the middle of the pack. Or I do a lot of talking with uh, to cancer organizations, wellness centers, those type of places. So, um, yeah, that's about it. 
Okay, and we'll put all those references and more in the show notes so you'll be able to find those. Well, David, thank you so much. This has been a joy, and I know that the that the ripples of from this conversation will go out in ever-widening circles. Thank you so much. Thank you, and you're welcome, and thank you for what you're doing. I mean, obviously, it's uh, it's great stuff, and I, I can assume... You said don't assume anything, but I can assume that these talks are not just great for the audience and for the people you bring on, but they also got to be a little good for you. So, so congratulations on putting yourself out there. It's a hard thing to do. Well, it, yeah, no one's born a podcaster and certainly dentists, the podcaster has been a bit of a journey, but we, (laughs) we're making it work and we're just doing the, we're just doing what we can do. And I have to give all the credit to my producers and the two great people that are listening in and going to help me organize this conversation. So it comes out in a lovely way for folks very, very soon. So I hope all the connections to goodness and progress that Dave and I just shared with you will carry you through your week and that you'll start finding all the sense of joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Thank you. See you soon.